Um, it's so good to be back. We had, um, we had two weeks of leave. Um, we've been back this last week, and uh, it was really so refreshing and so good. Uh, Jess and I had an amazing time resting, so thank you uh, for giving us that time to rest. And uh, we've come back fired up, excited, uh, with a message burning on our heart. And uh, guess what? It's nothing new. <laughs> it's just fired up and fresh. Um, but I really am excited to, to be here and um, honestly, it's a privilege to stand at the pulpit and to open the Word together to preach the gospel. And my prayer today is just that you'd be equipped, you'd be encouraged, you'd be stirred, uh, maybe a little challenged and convicted. That's always a good thing. Uh, how many of you know conviction is not a bad thing? It's a good thing. It's what we do with it that matters. You know, it can be a bad thing if you become sour. Um, but actually, the reality is just let God do what He wants to do. It's, it can be uncomfortable, but it's glorious. Um, and so... I'm excited to get into the Word. I hope you are too. And um, so while we were away, uh, I kind of tried my best to just sit and listen to the Lord and just rest. And um, the more I did that, the more He was just stirring something in my heart um, around something that you've heard me preach over and over again. And I want to just say something to you. It's really not because... Um, because I think it's a nice thing to preach or it's, it's just, you know, fun or whatever. Sometimes it's actually quite difficult. Um, the topic can be really challenging and, and I, I end up getting a lot of backlash sometimes around this. And so I, if I'm honest with you, I've, I've even shied away and tried to find different ways of communicating this message. And while I was away, I just felt the Lord so refresh and redeem this thing and, and just show me that this, it's His heart. This is the gospel that we're living for, that we're alive for. And we've come to that time in history where nothing else matters. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the Great Commission. Surprise. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, will you just turn to Matthew 28 from verse 16. Holy Spirit, I just welcome you in this room. You're already here. You've already been moving and touching hearts and lives. But we just continue to stay in a posture of welcoming you. We welcome your word. We welcome your ministry. We welcome everything that you want to do in us and through us today. And I just yield to you right now. And I just pray, Lord, let your anointing be on me to communicate the gospel. And anything uh, in and of myself, Lord, let it just fall away right now. But I just thank you that you would come and teach us. And we are hungry, Lord. We are so hungry for you. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to do this one backwards. I did it the other way around in the eight, and I'm going to do it differently now. Um, while I was away, uh, obviously, I don't know how many of you have seen, hopefully all of you, what's happened with Afghanistan. Um, it is hectic. We've spent the last two weeks just weeping over that country, over that nation, praying. Um, I've actually had a couple of messages from pastors in Pakistan who are working on the borders with uh, other pastors and pastors' families that are coming across. And there's just so many that they just don't have the resources to feed them and to house them. Um, and so that's quite a challenging thing when you're across the other side of the world and you're just going, Lord, I want to help these people. How do we help? But I'm also encouraged by how the church has mobilized around the nations uh, to help. And um, it's, this is a crucial time for that nation. Um, you know, the Lord was, was speaking to us and I saw... A couple other people who are working into Afghanistan also posted stuff about this. But when we were praying in the prayer room, we actually felt like in the scattering of all these Afghan uh, Afghani people, uh, God was mobilizing the proclamation of the gospel in the region. 
If you don't know, Afghanistan is the second fastest growing underground church in the world, uh, only behind Iran. And, uh, and so these are a bunch of fired up believers who know what it means uh, to follow Jesus, who now are being scattered across the region. Uh, so yes, it's hectic and there's a lot of suffering, but at the same time, I'm like, Lord, hold on a second. You're doing something incredible here. Because I'm telling you, there are heroes of the faith. We don't know their names. Maybe we never will. But actually, I think we need to be equipped by people like that more than what we have to give them. And so I'm, I'm so encouraged, even in the midst of the pain and, and the things that are going on, and our hearts are so tender. But this stuff's been going on. And while we were away, um, I f- checked up on the, the stats. And every 10 years, uh, Joshua Project, if you don't know Joshua Project, they're basically this organization that are focused on reaching the unreached. And every 10 years, they release the stats on where we're at and and what the condition of the nations is in terms of uh, the gospel reaching every tribe, tongue, and nation. And uh, so it started in 2000. They released it in 2010 and then 2020. And I didn't actually know that the new stats had been uh, released until someone uh, that I've an organization that works in the Middle East, they put something out and made this comment about these stats. And I thought, oh my word. And I went and checked these stats out and I was, I was blown away, um, grieved. And then I was like, I need to triple check this and, and really dove into the research to make sure that this is true. And unfortunately, uh, all the evidence really is showing that. Uh, but I believe that it's an opportunity for the church. It's opportunity for us as the bride across the nations to allow the Holy Spirit to wake us up to what's happening right now across the nations. Um, that there is something so much bigger than surviving this season. There is something so much bigger than just trying to uh, uh, get through this and, you know, just, let's just get back to normal. Normal is gone. Um, and I'm so glad. I don't know if, if you are yet, but you will be. Normal's gone. Thank God, because we were getting seriously complacent, seriously passive, and boring. Um, and, I, and the reality is now the fire of the Holy Spirit's back on the church and uh, for those who will, who will receive Him. And, uh, and He's stirring us up, and I'm grateful to be a part of a community like this. You know, we're not just sending a team to the Ukraine. We're actually touching three nations in the month of November, Egypt, Ukraine, and Turkey. We've got our main team going to the Ukraine. Jess and I will be in Turkey for two weeks, and we've got uh, Krista and Ali going through to Egypt as well. And so we need a ton of prayer, a ton of family connection, support, fellowship, standing together, um, because God is opening up doors uh, into these nations. And you go, well, why do you go? What can you do? Well, if we can get one, that's enough. We've got to keep going. If everyone can think, we just one more, just one more, just one more. There's so many. There's so many. And, and I promise you that one of the stats that I wasn't going to share today, but I'll just put it out there. Uh, they have estimated that globally the church has 3,000 times the finances and 9,000 times the manpower to finish the Great Commission. In just America alone, there is a thousand churches for every one unreached people group. So what's happening right now is it's not so much to be afraid or these stats that I'm going to throw. It's not, to, to, it's not a downer. It's, it's supposed to actually get us excited about the opportunity that we have right now in, at this hour of history uh, to follow the Lord. So these are the stats. Um, right now, it's estimated the global population is sitting at around 7.84 billion people. Of that 7.84 billion people, the total population of unreached people, that's meaning these are, these are people groups and communities and nations that um, have not heard the gospel. There is no way in which the gospel can be sustained. In other words, there are no churches or ministries or leaders that can reproduce the message of the gospel. 
Um, and so of that 7.84 billion, the total population of unreached is 3.27 billion people. That's 41.8% of the global population that don't know Jesus, not just don't know him, haven't heard his name. In other words, there's 3.27 billion people who are born, raised, live a whole life and die without hearing from another person the name of Jesus. What's exciting is that we are getting amazing reports of hundreds of thousands of Muslims having dreams and visions where Jesus is meeting them in, the, in their dreams and encounters. And so God's moving no matter what. However, we're going to get into it today. He has decided in his heart to co-labor with the church. In other words, he's still going to do it. He's going to, he's going to save every people group, and, and he's going to reach them, but he wants to do it with us, and he's giving us an opportunity as his bride to co-labor with him. And so 3.27 billion in 2010, it was 3.14. In other words, the numbers have gone up. In the last 10 years, from 2010 to 2020, the church globally has made more money than ever before in history, filled more stadiums than ever before in history, started and run more schools and training centers than ever before in history, but the numbers went up. In 2010, the amount of unreached people groups was 6,943. It's now sitting at 7,402. The population is increasing and the engagement is decreasing. Does that make sense? Are you understanding what I'm saying? So here's, here's the thing. For some reason, when I talk about stuff like this, people get really angry. And, and the reason they get angry is because it's challenging mediocrity, it's challenging complacency, and it's challenging our passivity, right? So it makes us angry because it shakes us out of comfort, and it demands a response, okay? You know, often, I don't know if you've heard me talk about the 1040 window. The 1040 window is basically this rectangular region of North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, and it's 10 degrees... Uh, latitude north of the equator and 40 degrees. So it's this specific region. You can Google it. And, um, and I talk about it a lot because 97% of the 3.27 billion people who have not heard his name, 97% of them live in that region. I'm sorry that they live there. I wish they lived in Hawaii so we could all go to Hawaii. I really want to go to Hawaii. I was watching a YouTube video. It looks awesome. Um, you know, but unfortunately, it's not there. It's in the Middle East and North Africa and Asia. And the reason why it's so unengaged is because it's seriously difficult. <laughs> it's hard. It's not fun. But, you know, our lives weren't, weren't fun, weren't easy. But Jesus still saved us. Jesus still paid a price to come after us. And the reason why, if you'll allow God to minister to you, your heart will start to ache for this place, for these people groups is because you start to realize that the same way Jesus aches and longs for you, He aches and longs for them. And, and unfortunately in the West, we've got this understanding that, no, surely somebody's going. Surely somebody's doing it. Well, let me give you some more stats. There's about plus minus 400,000 active missionaries on the earth right now. Only 3.3% of them go to the unreached or to the 1040 window. In other words, we are training, equipping, and raising up a whole, the majority of our missionaries, and we're sending them to countries that are majority 
Christian or, there's, or they've reached or there is at least existing churches and ministries that are already reproducing in the land. But 3.3% of our missionaries, we're sending them, only 3.3% are we sending to the unreached. It gets a little bit worse. <laughs> um, of the global uh, funds, so in other words, the global church, the estimated amount of money that the global church has, 0.001% of our global funds as a church goes to the unreached. So, so pretty much nothing. <laughs> yes, there are other places on the earth where there are unreached people groups. There's the 3%, of course. Are we meant to preach the gospel to every nation? Yes. Can God still call you to all these other places? And yes, of course, that's not by, by making the statement for the unreached. I'm not knocking any other assignment or call of God, but I'm, I'm blowing the trumpet for 24-7 and, and for all who will listen to say, hold on a second, church. We have to wake up to the reality that there's 3.27 billion people like you and me who have never heard his name. They don't even know him. You know, we, have, we think it's difficult because we're just having a difficult season and a bad time. Imagine that without any hope. And so I'm, I'm away and I'm, I'm on holiday and this is what's going through my mind. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, why do I have to be that guy again? <laughs> but you know what? It's a joy and it's a privilege. It really is. And I want to say to you, okay, we're going to get into the scriptures, I promise. I'm just going to go down this little road. We've had this language that's developed in, the, in our Western thinking. Um, well, I'm not called to that. How do you know? Are you with me? I'm not called to the 1040 window. I'm not called to missions. How do you know? Did you sit in your room, put a map out on the floor, get raw with God and say, what are you saying to me about the nations? See, majority of the people that use that statement as a reason to do nothing are the ones who've decided what they're called to and are waiting for God's approval for that thing. And I'm sorry, I was looking, studying, just looking through the, the New Testament. It's really difficult to find any other calling other than following Jesus. In other words, I can't find, well, I'm called to this specific thing or this... Every time the word calling is used in the Bible, it's to follow Jesus. So if we're following Jesus, really what we're doing is we're coming into line with what he's doing. So, so I want to say this to you. I am not a nation's guy. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an unreached people group guy. <laughs> it's not like my thing. I just decided. It's like my gifting. I just love to go to like war zones because it's fun, you know. When we went to Turkey in January, honestly, I've told you this before, when we landed there and it got really heated and intense with cops and whatever at the airport because we had South African, basically they thought we were going to infect all of Turkey. Um, but it got really intense. And the, this is what was going through my head. I made a mistake. I just brought my wife here. What am I doing? Because I'm signing papers and all, it's all in Turkish except for the one thing that says six months and it says jail. And, I'm, and they asked me to sign this piece of paper and I'm just like, dear God, I don't know what I'm signing. So this kind of stuff happens, and you go like, I don't, this is not like, I'm not excited about that. <laughs> Are you with me? I just want to make that clear. Like, this is not something that's like, whoa, yeah, this is awesome, man, and we get the, 
it, it's difficult and it's hard, but it matters to the Lord. It's on His heart. And so for me, it's like we pray these prayers, Lord, give us your heart. Well, when it's a dangerous prayer to pray. Because when you start to pray that, I promise you, He's going to show you something far more than the solution to your little problem in your life. He's going to start to show you there is a dream. It's the dream of God that's unfolding right now across the nations. And if we'll read the Word, He's actually prepared us and equipped us for this time. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be overwhelmed. We shouldn't be uh, trying to fix something that God said was going to actually end. And I, I know... Please hear me when I say that statement. That doesn't take any value away from what you do. But it puts the emphasis on the mission. Do you get what I'm saying? I believe that God can give you assignments to do specific things here in this city. I believe that there, there are times when you get assignments and it's not necessarily to go to the Middle East. It's an assignment to go to university. But the reason you're at university is the same mission and mandate as the missionary who goes to the Middle East. And I, I almost need to just repent for one thing. For saying, for saying that you can be, I'm a missionary to, um, I'm a missionary to spa, you know, because I go to spa and buy my groceries. And, and I know why I've said that. I'm just being honest with you. I've said it because we need to live sent, right? You can, be, you can be a sent one to your schools and your universities. But I've realized that by saying that, we have taken the emphasis of the incredible price that is paid the cost to actually be a missionary that's going to go into these nations and regions. See, we need to just remind ourselves a little bit of what God's actually doing across the earth. That when we think about the church and we study the scriptures, it really comes down to two things. The church exists to glorify Jesus, to, to magnify Jesus. And the second one is to make him known on the earth. And so Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus has died. He's raised from the dead. He's now going to ascend uh, back to the Father, and he, he leaves this commission, this command. He says, uh, so verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted that it was really he. There's a lot in that. I'm going to move on. Uh, Jesus came up and said to them, All authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's something that's really gripped me, okay? We, I've preached it this way, and, and I, it's because pastoral hearts, and we, we really care about people. I, I love you with my whole life. Uh, you know, preparing stuff like this, it's... It's, there's fear and trembling because you're realizing that you're actually accountable for stewarding the, the, the sphere of influence that we have over your lives. Before Jesus, we stand accountable for what we say, right? I'm aware of that. I want you to know this. But I've realized that in, in, in trying to be so pastoral, we've said things and, and developed a language that's formed a culture in the Western church. And I'm like, where did we get this? Where we say stuff like, well, um, you know, the Lord hasn't, I haven't, I've prayed and I haven't felt to go. How, I mean, I, that, that statement has come out of my own mouth, right? I, just, I don't feel to go. See, I want to flip this one and just say, actually, we should be praying more about whether we're to stay. Because when I read my Bible, the command and the commission is go. <laughs> he didn't say, 
seek me and find out if I've decided you're one of the chosen frozen who get to actually go. He didn't say that. He said, go therefore. Go therefore. In other words, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and now I'm actually releasing something to you, because of this moment that we're having here, this commission that's come on, go. <laughs> it's wild. I, I, I know it's wild. I, this, is, this challenges me to the core because I'm like, oh, I don't want, some place, I don't want to go. And then we reminded about what the gospel actually is. I died to myself. If any man would come and follow me, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Why? Because sometimes you've got to go places you don't want to go. <laughs> okay. So the command is go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. There's a strange teaching going around um, that the Great Commission is only given to the 11 uh, disciples. I don't even have to get scriptural and biblical to prove that. Just logically, it makes no sense. Because how are 11 disciples supposed to uh, preach the gospel till the end of the age? Until every single tribe, tongue, language, and nation heard the gospel. It's impossible. It's a crazy teaching. And even so, if it was an instruction just given to them, well, the next instruction nullifies that one because he said, uh, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. In other words, everything I've taught you and commanded you and given you, you go reproduce that, tell them to follow the same commands. One of them was go. So you just can't get out of this, right? I tried. I'm like, there's so many teachings and stuff there. They're, just, they're looking for, for ways to get out of actually doing the stuff. There's no way out. And, and in the next few scriptures, you're going to realize you don't want to get out. You want to get in. Because what God's doing right now is the most incredible, magnificent, beautiful thing we've ever seen. It's the master plan of the Father. It's the mystery of Christ Jesus revealed in every tribe, tongue, and language, and nation. And so we see here, he says that I'm going to be with you all the way till the end of the age. And there's a, there's a commission. Matthew 24. Is everyone okay? You with me? Awesome. Matthew 24, um, I know this is all your favorite chapter. Uh, it's just a beautiful description of all the terrible things that are going to happen in the end times. Uh, and it's really encouraging. It strengthens you and just makes you feel great about being alive now. Especially when you start reading it and you can tick off the list. I've seen that, I've seen that, I've seen that. <laughs> I'm teasing. So Matthew 24, um, I'll just read from verse 10 for the sake of time. At that time, many will be offended and repelled by your association with me and will fall away from the one whom they should trust and will betray one another, handing over believers to their persecutors and will hate one another. <laughs> Super encouraging. Isn't that intense that Jesus is he's actually preparing the church. He's actually saying, look, at the end times, this is what's going to happen. It's going to get a little bit intense. Not a little, a lot. It's gonna, it, there's a lot that's going to go on. And, and in fact, there's even going to be people within the movement of the church that will betray other believers and hand them over to, to their persecutors. They're, 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 there's many people that will be offended and repelled simply because you're associated with Jesus. So, so we've we got to shake off this expectation, this false expectation that uh, our life with Jesus is supposed to be this easy, just, uh, you know, just fantastic life where everything just goes right for you. It's just not like that. And so then it says, many false prophets will appear and mislead many. And listen to this, because lawlessness has increased, the, the love of most will grow cold. That's a scary thought. But the one who endures and bears up under suffering to the end will be saved. This good news, this is amazing, I love this promise. This good news of the kingdom, the gospel, 
will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end of the age will come. So Jesus makes this promise, and he's saying, he's saying there's going to be a whole bunch of signs, and, and there's going to be hardships and trials and tribulations, and it's, it's going to get a little bit hectic. But in the midst of that, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a testimony, as a witness to the Lord. And only once that has happened, the end will come. In John 20, 21, Jesus, he says this statement to his disciples. He, he's now raised from the dead. He appears to them uh, in the upper room, and he says to them, uh, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And I've been meditating on this line because I think about this. Jesus, ha- as the Son of God, has the right to unlimited riches, blessing, prosperity. There, there is no reason for him to have to go through anything difficult. Right? He's the Son of God. He has access to everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. And yet, if we are to be sent in the same way that the Father sent Jesus, Jesus didn't come down as this massive demonstration of His power and, and His wealth. and his. All. He came and was born in a barn. And he, he lived for 30 years working with His hands. And then he, His ministry looked like not having a home. And actually taking a group of people and introducing the kingdom of heaven everywhere that he went. It was so abstract to how we would understand certain things. And yet he's saying, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, let me put it this way. When you are born again into Christ, you have access to everything that is in Christ. Meaning, yes, blessings and abundance and prosperity and the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And you're going to see that in your life. And, and, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. You can expect the goodness of God. But what he's saying is, like Jesus, he's asking us to put aside our rights to the unlimited riches of glory and live for a mission, for a purpose. Why? Because the rewards that I'm living for that matter to me are not of this world. And so there's something so much more There's something so much more than the benefits of my right as a son or a daughter in this life, but actually I was designed and created for heaven. And so I'm not, it's easy for me to have abundance, like Paul says in the next one, to have lack, but I've I've found the secret to facing life. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mandate with God. And so I can enjoy the abundance and the blessing, but I'm not shaken when it's a little bit difficult because I'm on a mission. That's why you see Paul, he's just not afraid to die. See, we we eliminate fear of death when we're actually living for what death brings us. (laughs) See, I studied, I I love the history of the church, and if you study the first thousand years of the church, it is brutal. It's so brutal, man. It's like you think, oh, we sure to be alive in these times. Eh? It's just so difficult. I'm like, we have no idea. They were throwing Christians, feeding them to the lions in the Colosseum. 50,000 people watching human beings getting ripped apart because they believe in Jesus. It's being set alight on fire while you're still alive. Being skinned alive. You get what I'm saying? The first thousand years are just brutal. And yet the church is victorious through the ages. And, and, and in that time of brutality against the people of God, what you see is a longing and an ache for martyrdom. 
If you read the old letters of church fathers, when they get arrested and, and they write to the church, and they are aching and longing that that moment would come sooner. It's like I'm aching for the lions, because what death brings me is what I've been living for my whole life. See, uh, this does not get preached anymore. <laughs> we just get uncomfortable. We're like, oh, death and lack and bleh. And I'm not saying that, you know, you're, it's death and lack. That's what God wants me. No, it's, that's not what I'm saying. However, they are certainly something that we are not intimidated by, not afraid of, and not swayed by. Are you with me? And the second thousand years of the church is really interesting. Because the first thousand years, the devil's just straight in your face. You know, there was a whole bunch of stuff that had to happen uh, for you to even trade. If you wanted to be in business, they would, you had to offer sacrifices to Roman gods. And I mean, it was some intense stuff. And so Christians struggled to have a business. They couldn't even go to the shopping mall because to get into the shopping mall in Ephesus, you had to actually give a little thing that was a sign of a sacrifice to Caesar. So Christians just refused to go shopping. So what did they do? They needed each other. They had to start their own little mini economy there, <laughs> grow their own things and give to each other. And they just started to take care of each other. That's the first thousand years. Second thousand years, devil goes after the same thing, but he changes his tactics. Instead of throwing it in your face, he throws it at your heart. Now it's if you want to be successful, do this. If you want to just compromise here, just do this. Just get comfortable here. Just settle for this. No, actually what God wants for you is this. Sounds like the garden. And so now you see complacency and things that have set into the church, and it's just because we've listened to a lie. We haven't stayed true to the mission, the mandate of why we are Christians in this age. Are you with me? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I promise you I'm going to bring some, some practical context to this for you and for your life. But 2 Corinthians 4, I'll just read from verse 3. Uh, but if our, even if our gospel is in some sense hidden or behind a veil, it is hidden only to those who are perishing. Among them, the God of this world, Satan, has blind, uh, uh, blinded the minds of the unbelieving to prevent them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God revealed in the face of Christ. But we have this precious treasure, just in case of any confusion, Amplified makes it clear what that treasure is, the good news about salvation. <laughs> it's the most precious treasure we have as the people of God. We have this precious treasure, the good news about salvation, in earthen vessels, so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of, the, of His power will be shown to be from God, His sufficiency, and not from ourselves. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, unsure of finding a way out, but not driven to despair. Hunted down and persecuted, but not deserted to stand alone. Struck down, but never destroyed always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown in our body. For we who live are constantly experiencing the threat of being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be evidenced in our mortal body. So physical death is actively at work in us, but spiritual life is actively at work in you. Are you seeing something of, of Paul's heart here? He's saying... 
I don't, we're not preaching ourselves, we're preaching Jesus. And in fact, we go so far as to make nothing of ourselves so that you can encounter Him. In other words, we endure hardship and suffering and all these things that happen because of the mission and the mandate. Not because I deserve it or because it's God's will for me, because I'm after you, like Jesus did. Are you with me? Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, just next chapter, verse 14. Listen to this. For the love of Christ controls and compels us because we have concluded this. Pause. What Paul's saying is, we've concluded something, and because we've concluded this, the love of Christ controls and compels us. So I ask the question, well, what did you conclude that causes you to be controlled and compelled by His love? This is what they concluded. That one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that all those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for their sake. That's just a gospel statement right there. He's saying, he's saying we concluded something which has caused the love of Christ to control and compel us. And what we've concluded is this, that there is one. His name is Jesus Christ, and he died. And he died once for all. For all. And all... And, and, and those who have faith in Jesus, those who believe in Him, they, they've died by faith too. And then they come alive in Christ. And those who are now alive in Christ, they don't live for themselves anymore. They live for Him. And so what that looks like is for us as believers, it's, it's, a, it's this case of not letting any situation, circumstance uh, exalt itself above the voice of God. I live for Him. But this situation is so stressful and so intense, I don't know what to do about it. We do. Listen. What is he saying? It's for him. You don't understand, man. This is a life-changing, really hectic. Well, just stop. Listen to him. Live for him. Give it to him. It's his. You're on a mission. You're on a mandate. Keep doing what God's saying. Keep following him. Are you with me? Uh, Romans 15. Uh, the book of Romans is a really interesting and powerful book. I've just been looking at it and studying it. Romans chapter 1 to chapter 8 uh, is basically Paul teaching and explaining what happens when you're born again. It's what it means to be in Christ. It's the message of grace, the gospel of grace, right? Romans 9, 10, and 11 is where Paul kind of, he zooms out and he begins to explain this master plan, this dream of God, where basically the Gentiles are, are going to come to know Jesus in an incredible way, all the surrounding nations of Israel, and, and their salvation is going to provoke Israel, unbelieving Israel, who there's a partial hardening over their hearts that don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. The Gentile salvation is going to provoke Israel unto jealousy and ultimately unto their provocation and salvation. Are you with me? I mean, this is like Paul literally zooms out to the massive dream of God. And he's like, do you understand that you are a part of something that is so big? It's a bride. It's a bride of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, including the Jews who rejected him, his own people. And actually, God's going to use all the other nations, tribes, and tongues to provoke Israel unto salvation. He's going to have his Jewish bride. And he's going to use you to get it. It's beautiful. It's wild. So he, he does this, 9, 10, 11, then 12, 13, and 14, he begins to teach the church how to live with each other. It's amazing. It's like, can you imagine you hear, uh, you get uh, your foundations in chapter 1 to 8, then suddenly there's this zoomed out picture of this big plan that God's going to do across the nations, and I, I guarantee you go, what do we do? How's that going to happen? And we want to be a part of that. And then Paul says, okay, awesome, we're going to get to that first, 
let's just talk about now that we're in Christ, what it looks like to be family, what it looks like to live among one another. Romans 12 talks about the, let the marks of love be genuine, the marks of the true Christian be genuine. You know, so it's really, really powerful. He talks about um, what, how, do you, how do we live under earthly governments, stuff like this, 12, 13, 14. Let me get to 15, and 15 is where he answers this, this question of what, what is this big dream and how do we be a part of it? Chapter 15, verse 15. Still, on some points, I've written to you very boldly and without reservation to remind you about them again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I minister as a priest the gospel of God. I love that. Paul just, Paul just said, I minister as a priest the gospel of God. In other words, he views the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth as priestly ministry to the Lord. And he explains it. He actually says here, he says, uh, uh, in order that my offering of the Gentiles, this is bold, that, become, that may become acceptable to him, sanctified, made holy, and set apart for his purpose by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have found legitimate reason for boasting in the things related to my service to God, for I'll not even presume to speak of anything except what Christ has done through me as an instrument in his hands, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles to the gospel by word and deed, with the power of signs and wonders, and all of it in the power of the Spirit. Listen to this. So starting from Jerusalem and as far away as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel where it had not been preached before. Listen to this, okay? He says, starting from Jerusalem, we know that's where Paul kind of grew up and, and he was trained there, and going as far away as Illyricum. Now, Illyricum was a, a province in modern-day uh, Greece now. And so what he's basically saying is, remember, we, we read later on in chapter 15 that he had this intention of eventually getting the gospel to Spain. What was Spain to Paul? The ends of the earth. That's as far as they, they knew that, in that direction. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm a, I'm a minister of God preaching the gospel, and I've, I've preached the gospel where it hasn't been preached before, and, and my intent is to get it to the ends of the earth. I've preached it from Jerusalem where I started as far as I can get it, and I'm continuing. Are you catching what Paul's saying here? And then he says this. He says, um, accordingly... This is verse 20. Accordingly, I set a goal. Maybe your translation says um, uh, my ambition. It's my ambition. Accordingly, I set a goal to preach the gospel, not where Christ's name was already known, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but instead I would act on this goal as it is written in Scripture, and he quotes Isaiah 52, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard of him shall understand. I just want to pause there for a second. When he says, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I, I preach Christ where he's not been preached before, that I, so that I don't build on another man's foundation. What is he saying? He's not saying that I, he's not prepared to partner with local churches. What he's saying is there's no point in planting a new work where there's already an existing work. So in the last thousand years of the church, because these lies have crept in over a long period of time, now you drive to 24-7 on a Sunday, and you probably passed 13 churches to get you. And I'm not knocking it because I love the more local churches, the more Jesus is in your face. So I love it. I'm like, great. But what's, what's kind of a little bit challenging is that what Joburg doesn't need, or what Joburg needs is not a, another church plant. Especially when 3.27 billion people are sitting on the planet who don't know his name. Are you catching my heart? So I, my, my heart is I'm saying, okay, Lord, 
you know, we've been on this journey, and God's so beautiful. He's taking His people on a journey. This is not about, well, we've just lost the plot, and we're all just wrong. And It's not that. It's listening to the voice of the Lord right now, what He's saying. He's saying, I need you to care about what I care about. Like Paul, can you set a goal? Can you make it your ambition to preach the gospel where it has not been heard before? And he says, he says this, this, this goal or, or this commitment is the reason why I have often been prevented from coming to you in Rome. He's writing to the Romans and he's saying, it's this goal of preaching the gospel where it's not been preached before that's actually prevented me from doing what I want. I, wanted to, I want to come to Rome. I want to come and see you. You haven't met me yet, and I've heard so many good things of Rome, and I want to come to Rome. That's what Paul's saying. But I've got a mission. I've got a mandate. And, and until it's the Lord who's got to lead me to that place, because I'm just following Him and doing what He's called me to do. So, okay, let me zoom this in a bit and make it more practical for us. This is not about us as the church uh, adding the Great Commission to one of our projects. <laughs> or, you know, it's one of our ministries as a people. We, you know, we go to the No, come on. This is right at the center, right at the core of who we are as the people of God. In other words, if, you, if the Lord uh, speaks to your heart and you know you have an assignment to your business or you have an assignment to the sphere of influence that God's given you right now, University, your business, school, your family. If you know, God, you've, you've, this is an assignment from you. I'm here because you've placed me here. The mission doesn't change. The point is go and make disciples. So wherever God has you, go make disciples of your family. Go make disciples in your business. Go make disciples in uh, your university or your school. And teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. <laughs> you. You're catching my point. So now what happens is, Joburg, Gauteng, South Africa, Africa, and to the ends of the earth, something is being multiplied because discipleship's taking place. The reason why we go, where's discipleship gone in the church? Like discipleship is just not there anymore. And, and now people are writing books and they're brilliant books. The Lost Art of Discipleship in the Church. And, and they, by the way, that book is actually brilliant. But you see these titles and you go like, wow, the church has lost discipleship. Let me tell you why. Because we lost the Great Commission. We're trying to get discipleship back in the church, but we don't even know what discipleship is anymore. Now discipleship looks like, well, we had coffee and we chatted about my problems. And, you know, I got some good advice on, and I did, we did discipleship. Discipleship is actually people getting saved, coming into new life, beginning to follow the commandments of Jesus, and, and, and coming into the mission, the mandate, the dream of God. Can I, can I suggest this? If 41.8% if of the population is unreached, I guarantee you, a large percentage of the church are in the wrong place. And they're in the wrong place because what they've done is they have decided in their own heart that this is what I am called to do and God's going to make this thing happen and He's not making it happen and so I'm frustrated and I'm questioning things and I don't even know what my purpose in life is and I'm just trying to survive and get through things. Do you know how many Christians are living in that place? 
I'm just trying to get through, just trying to, just trying to make something of myself. I don't understand. What does God want? And I just, I'll tell you what's wrong. You're in the wrong place. <laughs> do you know, do you want, one more thing. Do you know that you can't fail in going? There's no wrong call. <laughs> it's like, well, I decided to go to Afghanistan and I could only, you know, preach the gospel for three months and then they kicked me out and oh, I must have missed it. No, you didn't miss it. You preached the gospel for three months in Afghanistan. <laughs> or two weeks. Or Do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you, there's no failure in the Lord. Just go. Just go. Oh, I can only go for a weekend. Go. <laughs> And, and, you know, okay, well, sure, Con, you know, I'm actually in a difficult place and uh, a lot of stuff going on. And so, uh, like, tomorrow it's Monday. I've got to get up and there's a lot of stuff to get done. Go. Go to work. Get the stuff done. Just make disciples. Just preach the gospel. Just let the love of Jesus control you and compel you. And, and let it matter way more than everything else that's happening in your life. So in other words, it's like you're, everyone around you at work is stressing out about that business deal that's falling through. But you're just like, hey, man, I just want to let you know, man, like God loves you so much. Uh, can I just tell you, like the Lord spoke to me in my heart about what you're going through. And, and, and people are going, what the heck is wrong with you? Do you not understand that we're going through something? And you're like, no, no, I understand. But do you understand how much God loves you and what God's actually doing right now? And man, you need to get a part of this. Like you were born for this. What you're looking for, you think this business deal or this business is going to give you, it's not going to give it to you. Jesus is going to give it to you. You're actually made to be a disciple because I just want to pop your bubble and let you know when you get to heaven, you're not going to be a businessman anymore. And unfortunately, your degree is going to mean nothing and your salary means nothing. But actually what, what is going to mean something is what did you do with the gospel? <laughs> Are you with me? And so it's just simple. It's like... I said this in the, in the 8 a.m. We think revival means everyone gets saved. We think revival means that, you know, the glory of God comes and everyone finally realizes it and they all get saved. Well, unfortunately, it's not quite like that. Actually, what revival is, is everyone decides. It's when the glory of God confronts mankind and you must make a choice to yield and bow or reject Him. Are you with me? So what's so beautiful is that we don't have to manufacture anything. We don't have to, uh, you know, persuade people in that sense. Our job is, is to just follow Jesus, obey Him, and He does the rest. In fact, He even says signs and wonders follow the proclamation of the gospel. So our job is what? Preach the gospel. What's the treasure that's been given to us in this earthly vessel? It's the good news of salvation. And I, I want to challenge us. Have we become so uh, complacent in our Western thinking? When was the last time we put ourselves in an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus? Good question, hey. When was the last time we stepped out to share the gospel with someone at work, at university, wherever it is that you are? Because I also want to say on the other side, sometimes we can get so over, um, like pseudo-spiritual about the nations that there's, like sometimes, I know it's easy to get to this place. We talk about the nations like it's this wonderland, you know, and God's just doing these things over the nations and 
all these incredible things. I'm like, who's getting saved? <laughs> I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean that genuinely. It's like, yes, there's, the, there's all the prophetic spiritual stuff, but it's for a purpose. It's to awaken people to the, the life and the knowledge of Jesus that many would come to know Him. And what's so beautiful is that you go, sheesh, I don't know like, how to do that, and I don't even know what I would say uh, you know, if I had to share the gospel with someone. That's okay. These guys were, were fishermen and you know, ordinary guys who didn't even really know what they were doing. In fact, 90% of the time they said the wrong stuff, and Jesus had to deal with that and correct them and stop it, shush. Do you know what I'm saying? It's okay. Like, you don't have to have this thing figured out. He's not looking for your brains. He's looking for your yes. He'll do the rest. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 5, just real quick. I love this. It's a description of there's only one who's worthy to open the scroll. And he walks up to the Father and he takes the scroll out of the right hand of the Father and he breaks open the seal. But listen to this, it says, verse 9, And they sang a new song of glorious redemption, saying, Now listen to this, This is the song that heaven is going to sing when Jesus breaks open the scroll. And it's a scroll of true divine justice, something I want to talk about another time. But he opens the scroll, and guess what song comes out of heaven, which so reveals the dream of God. This is what they sing, Worthy and deserving are you, to take the scroll and break its seals, for you were slain, and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. How's this? Guess what he calls the kingdom here? He's calling the kingdom us. He's saying you've made them to be a kingdom. Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation. This is a kingdom of hearts. So let's not call the methods the kingdom because that changes all the time. But hearts, that's the kingdom of God right there. Because when we stand before Jesus, our methods are not going to be there, but hearts will be. So, activating the bride, 24-7 beautiful church. What, why am I getting hyped up and excited? Because I want you to know that you are not attending a church where there's this crazy um, bald-headed guy who rants about you going to the nations. Uh, kick me out if that's the case, because it's a, that's the reality is, as an eldership team, as a leadership team, this is not some uh, side thing. This is the gospel. And it, it looks like something for you on a Monday morning. It looks like something for you on a Thursday when it's been a long week. It's something that anchors us in the goodness of God. That's what we have to understand. It's something that like, yeah, even in the midst of, of a crazy week, I'm anchored by this one thing that I, I live to know Him and to make Him known. That even though it's been a lousy week work-wise, it's been a productive week kingdom-wise. Are you with me? Do you see, like when you start to dream this way, you can see Groups and, and, and groups being formed of, of accountants um, making disciples in the most intense environments where, you know, there's 
30-minute lunch breaks, and they're sitting together with their lunch, and they're just encountering God and encouraging one another, and people are getting saved in the, the workplace. The marketplace is coming alive. It's crashing in terms of the, the economy and whatever, but it's just coming alive in terms of people getting saved and healed and delivered and set free. Please don't misunderstand when I say that the, the economy and all this stuff is Babylon's falling. Please don't misunderstand that for your business is going to crash. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just read your Bibles and understand that you aren't called to fight for, for something that Jesus says he's going to make new. What you are called to fight for is actually the eternal salvation of many, many people that were born to know God. And so I promise you, if your sphere of influence becomes a method to reach people, of course God's going to bless it. Are you with me? How are we supposed to send way more missionaries to the Middle East if we don't have the finances? Are you with me? So please don't misunderstand me. God will bless your businesses, and He'll bless your families, and He'll bless, and of course, especially when you're living for the kingdom and you're going after souls. So I'm not anti that. I'm so for it. But I, I just want to make sure that we don't become obsessed with with being blessed, that what we do is we, we get the blessing from God and we bless others, but they don't know Jesus. And so they stand before Jesus one day and they go, I was really blessed by that guy who said he knew you, but I never met you. So I'm saying let, let all of those things, the, the, the byproducts of being a son and daughter of God, the blessing and the abundance of heaven and fresh strategies for your business and for your projects at university, and let all of those things serve the mission and the mandate of making disciples on the earth. Does that make sense? I really pray that that's clear because I, I do want to communicate that well. And so I hope that you come away from this burning with the dream of God and just saying, Lord, I'm in. Whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. I'm ready. Just give me the assignment. And then we seek the Lord. We rest in Him. This is not a striving thing you're listening to me and you're like, just, I know I'm intense, but it's because I'm really passionate about this. And I say it again, you know, it's, it, it took a lot to say yes uh, to a region that's just not pleasant. It takes a lot. It does take a lot. It takes a lot to say yes to preaching the gospel in an intense uh, accounting firm or what it, do you know what I mean? There's a cost and we're not afraid of the cost. We, we're living for something far more than this world, far more than what we see around us. Is that okay? And so for me, I also want to just end with this statistic. All the stats I just gave you, very scary, very intense. But do you know that the millennials were the first generation in history that knew exactly where the unreached people, that now do know exactly where the unreached people are, how many of them there are, and how to get there? Do you realize that we're equipped to turn the tides of this thing really quickly? If we can mobilize the bride, we can mobilize the body, we can see that 41.8% of unreached people group, you know, completely finished quickly. And it's going to take the family of God. It's going to take every assignment in the body, every single uh, uh, person and family coming together, knowing that if, you know, if my assignment is here in Joburg, then I'm going to reach Joburg. But I'm also carrying the unreached in my heart. And so whether that means sending or praying or whatever it is, you know, these are, are simple commands from the Lord. John Piper, he, he said the statement, you're either a giver, a goer, or, or you're disobedient. 
Jesus, you know, he even, I'll give an example. I was just talking to my gran, and, you know, my, my gran's in, in, a, in a time in her life where what she can do, how she can participate in this story is pray. That's insane. It's beautiful. It's wild. It's, she gets to pray, Matthew 9, 38, that the, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. But she's carrying it in her heart. So I'm saying to you, you might have an assignment from the Lord right now that maybe doesn't look like right now going into that region. But you are called to carry this in your hearts because we're called to make disciples. You know, Barnabas, we, the first time we meet Barnabas, he's a businessman who sells a field because there's need in the church. 10 to 13 years later, he's the guy who goes to Antioch. Different assignments. His first assignment, business guy. Second assignment, go to Antioch and, and, and father a revival and, 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 and birth something that's going to touch the nations. It's just assignments. Are you with me? Awesome. Um, yeah, I want to pray for us. I want us to, when we come into Jesus like this and we begin to catch his heart and see his dream and we just get into the word again, I just want to encourage you, just read the word. Don't read little bits of it and then try and build a theology around that. Read the word. Find it in the word. Get into the word. Look, And when you do, you start to discover it's real, it's crystal clear what we're here to do. But when we come into that, we begin to see the potential of why we're alive. You know, this last year, since the Lord's been really uh, pressing on our hearts to, to pioneer something, to model something, to say yes when it's really difficult and go to these places, um, in this time, and it's, it's been an interesting year, but I'm reminded of something my mom said to myself and Courtney when we went to Zimbabwe, packed up everything, sold everything. We had two weeks of clothing. We were driving to the border of Zimbabwe. Uh, the Lord had told us to go there, and we uh, led a church for a while. But while we were driving there, I always talk about this. My mom, uh, she turns around and she looks at myself and my sister, and she said these words. She said, are you ready for an adventure with Jesus? And I remember I was about eight, nine years old, and I'm thinking, we just sold our dream house. I watched my dad literally build this house. That was a dream house. Uh, you know, we loved it. It was, we had, it was designed how we wanted it. All the, It was just great. And the Lord says, sell it and go. And I want to even use the story. You know, we were only in Zim for about a year, just over a year, and then we were forced to leave because of the government. Um, and uh, and so many people were like, "Oh my word, why did you sell your house when you were only gone for a year? You could have just rented it out and come back." And I really honor my parents for this because I, I remember so many times my dad answering that question because the Lord told me to. This is God. Sell your dream house and go. He didn't tell you, oh, you're only going to go for a year and then, you know, good luck finding a house again. No, he said, sell your dream house and go. And we went. And do you know that in that one year, it marked me as a young man forever. I watched God do things in a community where there was desperation. At that time in Zimbabwe, it was falling apart. I remember driving around. We couldn't even find petrol. There's no petrol. So you're going from, you know, petrol station to petrol station. Nobody's got petrol. Then you find out some farmer down the back, he's got like two canteens or whatever. 
I remember going to shopping malls. There's nothing in the, in the shops, just empty. And you're just trusting God. And then you'd find out, you'd get home. You couldn't get anything at the shops, but one of the people of the church has dropped off groceries at your house because they found a shop with groceries and they thought of you. I remember stuff like this as a, as a young boy. And, and I'm, for us as a family, we'll never regret saying yes to going, even though it was for a year. Do you see what I'm saying? There's no failure in obeying what God's commissioned the church to do. And he's taking care of us every step of the way. You know, we have, we have as a family, and I'm just sharing this to encourage you because I don't want you to think that I preach something at you. <laughs> Man, I know my family, you know, we've got some issues. But we positioned ourselves in this place just to say yes to God. Don't laugh at that, Kevin. <laughs> but we, we positioned ourselves. She knows our family well. so she's, We positioned ourselves just to say yes just to say yes. And so we have lived, we have lived in mansions because people just felt we want you to live here for this tiny little bit of, of rent money because God loves you so much. We've lived with nothing and, and had to like really trust the Lord. We've been times, I remember as a family sitting there, and pray, okay, there's no, there's no groceries. There's nothing. What are we going to do? And I remember we're going to pray and ask the Lord. An hour later, ding dong, someone arrives at the house. The Lord just told me to go to Woolworths not pick and pay or spar, Woolworths, and buy you like a month's groceries. Or Do, do you catch what I'm saying? God's got this, man. But He's just looking for our yes. And so it's, it's a life in the gospel that's an adventure. Let me tell you why it's an adventure. Because you have no control over it. That's the adventure. The adventure is actually that there are times when you're like, whoa, this is falling apart. What's going to happen? And then God comes through and you're like, thank you, Jesus. And then there's other times when there's just so much abundance and grace, and you're just like, Lord, I get to bless others and, and be such a blessing to so many people, and I get to go and drop groceries at people's house. Do you get what I'm saying? So I want you to know that God's just looking for your yes, and you can't, you can't mess this one up as long as you stay in Him. We can't do worse of a job than we've been doing the last 10 years, right? <laughs> so let's just say yes to Jesus. Let's run after Him, you know. It's amazing that not one time have we regretted selling that house. Well, to my knowledge. But the reality is it's, you look back and you think, Lord, when we stand before you one day, how many people, whether you sent someone or whether you went yourself or whatever it is, just your yes to Jesus, how many people are going to walk up to you in heaven and say thank you? Middle Eastern families, Turkish people, Somalians, Egyptians, Ukrainians, who will one day maybe walk up to you and you go, I, didn't, I never met you, I never knew you. They go, thank you for the gospel. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I never went to the Ukraine. Yeah, but you sent so-and-so. That's so valuable. That's so precious. These are the lives of people, men and women and children, families that God loves so much. It's worth it. And those people are in your businesses and in your schools and in your universities. And they're there. You know, in John 4, he, Jesus, he says, the harvest is ready. It's now. It's ripe. Look up. The fields are white with harvest. And he says, the harvest is now. The laborers are few. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening to me with such grace and, and hearing 
Lord, I have to say, I do pray that you'd be able to find this in the Word and, and that you will dig into this even more. I just want to pray for you and bless you. If you need prayer for anything, please, you're welcome to come for prayer afterwards. Our team will, will pray for you. I just want you to know how loved you are by this family, by the leadership of 24-7. Um, really, this is a beautiful family, and it's a privilege to serve Jesus together. Yeah, you guys are really awesome. So, Father, I just pray for every person here. Both services have just been so beautiful, so different, but so incredible as we just realign our hearts, Lord, with you and what you're saying and doing. And Lord, I, you've got this, God. You are so good and so faithful, and you said that you would finish this and you'd fulfill it. And so we know that you're going to do it, but we also know that you've called us as your bride to co-labor with you. We get to do this with God. We get to, to run with Jesus. We get to, to uh, follow him as he changes the world. And so today, Lord, we just give you our yes. Lord, I, on behalf of, of us in this room and, and even just the church, Lord, we just repent for complacency. We repent for where we have just ignored things or been ignorant of things or just we just didn't care. Lord, we repent and we just say, Lord, give us your heart. It's a dangerous prayer, I know, but Lord, we ask you, for your grace to carry what's on your heart, to be obedient to what you've called us to do. You're so faithful. You're so good. Lord, I thank you. Every marriage, every family, every child, every business in this house, Lord Jesus, I, just, I do release the blessing of God upon them for the purposes of the Great Commission. I just release favor that you would open doors and opportunities to share the gospel with people, even uh, CEOs and, and uh, execs and all these uh, you know, areas that maybe you know, a missionary wouldn't be able to get to, but God, you've put people there. There's always sons and daughters of God available and, and strategically placed for such a time as this to share the gospel. So would you open our eyes, Lord, to see the people you've called us to reach Father, I pray that as a family, we would strengthen one another, encourage one another in the assignments that you've given us, that you would show us that we're all called with the same calling to follow Jesus, but given many different assignments where we can encourage and build each other up. And so I thank you for that, Lord. And as a house, Lord, we do, we also, we pray for our city, Johannesburg. We pray, Lord Jesus, that salvation would just wash over this city. Not religion, not complacent Christianity, but the true, radical, born-again uh, discipleship and following of Jesus that, that so many people would come to know you in a real way, Lord. Father, we pray for the nation of South Africa. And we thank you, Lord, that you would establish this nation as a sending nation into Africa and into the rest of the world. Father, we pray uh, for 24-7 church as a house, Lord. We ask you that you would so position us, provide for us, equip us, and prepare us to reach the unreached God as a family. The unreached, those that, that are, are, have turned away from Jesus in our own personal spheres of influence, but also those in the nations. Lord, also those all across the earth in the 1040 window. Lord, where 3.27 billion people have not heard your name, we cry out and we say, Lord, 
Lord, Igbalo laborers, send forth laborers, Lord, where there are those that are living lives that don't know you, they don't know the good news of the gospel, Lord. If, if it's an assignment that you want to give us, we say we're here, Lord, send us, send us, Lord. Whether it's a day, a weekend, two weeks, two years, we're in for whatever you call us to, God. And so we just say, Father, help us, give us strategy from heaven to be uh, effective in what you've called us to do. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that this is all in your hand and that you will have a bride for your glory. And we read it in Revelations 5. Every tribe, every tongue, every language, and every nation, and together we'll be around the throne singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the one who is opening the seal. So Lord, we just bless you. We bless you. We honor you. We worship you. Every single son and daughter of God has a seat at this table where the true bread of life is given to every single one of us.